There are no winners or losers here, only survivors. I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today we talk about Robotech, the next gen- the new generation on genreless. Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode. And I want to start this one off by saying this is probably the greatest episode of anime that's ever, ever, ever existed. Much how every episode that we watched last season was the greatest episode of a uh, space opera ever made. <laughs> Just starting all strong, aren't you? Well, I felt that we were missing that this season, so I wanted to bring that 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 <laughs> gag back. <laughs> I do have to say and though, I um, couldn't. I, as I was watching this, I kept doing the next no new generation thing like the whole time. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> It was really hard because I I thought about it in my head even before I said it. It's like remember, it's it's new. It's not next. Don't say next. Next. It's like, <laughs> oh, <self. Damn> it. <laughs> All right. So I, I think folks are probably in the the beat for Robotech now. But as a recap for those that may have missed the first two episodes, and I'm not sure why you would jump on now, but I support your being here. Mm-hmm. Um. The human civilization discovered this thing called protoculture, and then they started making Robotech, which are transforming Mecha. And long story short, there are a couple different invasions. Most of humanity has been eradicated. And at the end of last season, um, which is a totally separate anime that was stitched together to form one, we'll say cohesive, story. (laughs) And also, Southern Cross is the greatest anime that was ever made. That is certainly an opinion you can have. Not what I'll defend, but I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> and I don't at believe the end, it, but I'll say it. And <laughs> at the end of that, the flowers of life sort of populates were flown all around the earth, and that sent the invid, which you find out were the actual main in- antagonist of the Robotech Masters. Right. And that's when we start into the new generation. Mm-hmm which has the Invit coming to Earth and decimating the Southern Cross's armies and everything in, within minutes, which I think is amazing. Yeah. If you listen to the intro, it doesn't say hours or months or days, minutes. Yeah, it's, sort like, of, it's like the whole past season, they do all this work to try to stop the Invit and Invit show up. It's like, nah, <laughs> okay. And they enslave all of humanity. Which then you have a few, there are two or three, there are two other attempts to come and sort of like rescue or liberate Earth over the decade, both of which fail. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have the third one, which is our series that we started on coming in. They're riding high hopes. You have folks from Mars. They're all gung ho for Rick Hunter and they are quickly annihilated. And our, to, to best of our knowledge, our sole survivor, Scott Bernard, crashes on Earth. And that's sort mm-hmm. of how the show gets started. Yes. And I want to say up front, I like this a lot better than the last chunk we watched. And I think some of that is that Scott Bernard is a more interesting character. I think part of it for me is I like the art style a lot better and it speaks to me. And even when I went and started playing the uh, Palladium for the Palladium Robotech version, mm-hmm. I would gravitate towards the Cyclone over the ver- over the alphas or betas simply because I liked the look of it and everything else more. But then mm-hmm. when we got in game, I realized that this was a horrible mistake 
is they're shooting people with like a for 180 MDC, and I'm shooting them for like six. Right. So this is really cool. Plink does nothing. Okay. Well then, never mind. Now you see why the invid did this in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, just like kind of like, like last time, this was n- relatively new to me. Um, so I came in pretty fresh, uh, and I know we were a little rough on the last, uh, a chunk, you know, the Southern cross chunk. Uh, but I was, I mean, I was going and this is like, uh, okay, let's get, let's get through this. You know, I, I was not, pre- I was not prepared to like this and the very first episode, I'm like, okay, I'm digging this more. And I do think some of it is the characters. I think a little bit of the voice acting. I think the voice acting is a little stronger this time around. But also just... Um, do we know the if they of, kept all the same voice actors, more or less, from each season? Oh, really? I, do, I, couldn't I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking. Because I oh. noticed that when we encounter Marlene, Marlene sounds a lot like Lisa from first season. Okay, that's fair. I, 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 I could see that's, that. That's my, my untrained opinion, though. And honestly, I suspect at least some of the voice actors are probably consistent because it's the, you know, you're already in the studio. Let's go ahead and just have you record more lines. You know, I mean, that's not uncommon for 80s animation. I mean, I know uh, uh, shows like Transformers and G.I. Joe, when they kept introducing more and more characters, they just had the same voice actors redoing them. So you have like a cast of like 40 or 50 characters with 12 or 15 voice actors at one point. So, I mean, it's, it's I could see why that would happen. Is that but, when you um, can also go for the greatness it is? Is it Frank Welker that did Optimus Prime? No, you heathen. <laughs> Frank Welker did Megatron. Peter uh, Cullen did Optimus Prime. <laughs> look at How that. dare you? <laughs> now you're going to make us do a whole season of Transformers, aren't you? Maybe. Um, although, to be <sighs> fair, the original cartoon has not aged well. Um, I mean, there's entire show about Optimus Prime losing his own arm and then getting his ass kicked by his own arm. So, I mean, it's not great. Oof. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I think part of it also is uh, there was a, a kind of a stronger cohesive feel. Like, we talked about last show, it was like, yeah, this planet's been destroyed and it, it never really felt like that was true. I really believed that earth was destroyed in this show because we saw it, right? They, they travel around and it's like, nope, that place is broken. That place is shut down. The place is barely hanging on. It, it, it was kind of almost a post-apocalyptic mega show in a lot of ways, which I thought was really interesting. Well, this also felt a lot sort of like the A-Team or like the old TV show combat format where they would sort of travel from town to town mm-hmm. and they would encounter writer, a problem yeah. and then they would fix a problem. And then you'd have like the Bruce Banner lone, lonely man theme come on as they would walk slowly out of town into the distance mm-hmm. yes. for all of our people that know 70s TV. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which I think helped the show a lot more than trying to have like one ongoing cohesive story. They had a lot of B and C plots that were ongoing, yes. but the main a plot itself was always something new and that sort of distracted you from whatever else it was. But that new situation was sort of um, a regenerated version every time of within three or four different sort of story ideas. Right. Um, one example of that, uh, which you kind of glossed over a little bit is um, Scott Bernard was engaged to be married or had just been married. I, I'm a little fuzzy on that. Um, he proposed. Because he proposed. Okay, that was right. 
minutes before your invasion, what you would do is go to your one true love and say, hey, we've been going out for a few years now. I think before we both die, let's let's get married. What do you think right. about that? Right. And she gave him a hologram uh, of a moment they had together. Uh, and so one of the B plots is Scott coming to terms with his grief. Uh, but one of the things that this show did, which was nice, is that it would let that sit in the background for a little bit and they would bring it back up. They would kind of quietly recap that plot line. It's like, you know, he, the hologram would come out again and someone would say, hey, who's that? And he would tell the story again. Uh, so if you're binging it, it gets a little repetitive. But if you're watching this week to week, I could say, oh, yeah, that's right. There is that thing going on. And it did not require you to be constantly tapped into the, like, again, with Southern Cross, there's so many threads going on that it, it, it sometimes got lost or those threads got hard shifted into a new direction at the last moment. Whereas this one, it's like, like you said, there's kind of the problem of the week format. And then it's the, oh, and yeah, and Scott's still dealing with that stuff. Let's, let's kind of tell the audience again what's going on here. And so I think since we didn't mention, I should probably mention that this is an anime that comes from Genesis Clamor Mouse Peta. And this is sort of the version that they took and reconfigured to fit into the Robotech saga that they created out of the three. This is the last of the three animes that are all doing that. Mm-hmm. Which, since we've been dancing around it, we should probably just go ahead and get into the first episode, which was Imminent Invasion, which is a one where the fleet sort of gets destroyed in space after Scott proposes. He crashes on Earth, and you see Scott. This is his first time on Earth, like talking about like the right. green plants and everything else, because that's not necessarily on Mars. Mm-hmm. And he's bandaging him up himself. And for me, it was interesting to see that because of all the trauma that he just experienced is all focused and narrowed down into just the mission to get to reflex point. Yep. Forgetting everything else that happened, he even holds a little heart hologram that Marlene gave him and says, I will do this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm angsty anime protagonist. I mean, that's pretty much the plot of the, 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 the first episode. It, it, it sets the, the situation, but it does it well. Um, one thing I have noticed about a mecha anime in general, and I haven't really talked about it yet because both of the first two shows don't quite cleave to this, but there is an unspoken rule that if you have a show about giant robots in a war, you should probably show ro- giant robots fighting about once an episode. And bad shows will heavily shoehorn the obligatory fight to the point where it's like, okay, here's the obligatory fight. Um, uh, and some shows will like, okay, we'll every once in a while we'll, we'll skip over that. But generally speaking, we have one to fight. Uh, this one has a pretty decent robot fight in it. Um, and I, I realized that was something that was missing from uh, definitely Southern cross, but also to a degree from the first one is like, you know, the first one had some good strong fights, but they're also, long chunks where you wouldn't have anything. This one is pretty consistent about you're going to have some kind of, if not a robot fight, some kind of fight every episode. And I think that pacing works actually pretty well again with the problem of the week format. I felt like in macro. So it was, this is going to be a weird thing for me to say. So I get ready for it. I feel like for at least the first, we'll say the first season uh, for Macross itself, that felt less like a robot anime show more as a war show that had mecha in it. 
I think that's honestly that's fair, right? Um, I, I, I it, it had more in common with something they say star blazers, um, where it's really the ship is in every episode, and it's really about life on that ship. Yeah. Um, Compared uh, to this one, the the new generation that yeah. <laughs> is more of a mecha show that happens in war that has people in drama. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and. and uh, 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 so, in some ways, I think Southern Cross was probably well placed where it was because that show did help you to kind of slowly move from this is a show about war that happens to have giant robots in it to this is a show about giant robots. Um, it, it, it kind of helped to, to to move that needle a bit more to now where you're here. That doesn't feel as jarring. Whereas if it had gone from May Cross right to New Generation. I think there would have been much more of that. This is a completely different show. So I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I think the middle bit is necessary to kind of get that migration of tone across. I agree. That's also a point that we touched on last episode, though, how regardless of whatever show happened after Macross, it was going to take a lot more scrutiny and honest, honestly, hatred than what the third show would. Right. Um, but then you get in the weird kind of there's there's kind of a weird kind of curve that goes right there. Like you know, if you have a really popular thing and you could change format, um, True Detective ran the same thing, right? You know, True Detective season two was not nearly as beloved as season one. But sometimes you could almost strategically game that of like, okay, let's put something that's popular enough to keep us going, um, but needs to push the needle across so that way when people go, okay, I'm not as big of this. And then, oh, there's been a sea change. Let me kind of come back in then that third piece will be looked at more charitably because it's not to the heights of the first one, but it's better than the last one, right? And I think this is kind of in that space. Although, to be fair, I mean, I also think New Generation is just a really solid chunk of story on its own. It, it, it's, it will be hard to be better than Macross because of the, the, the space it holds in the popular culture, but it's just a really strong show. I would agree, but out of the three growing up, this is the one that I saw the most, actually. And this really? is the one that I remembered better than anything else. Like, yeah, I had okay. fond memories of Rick and Lisa and Min May. Remembered next to nothing about Southern Cross. But coming into mm-hmm. this, I remembered, like, all the cast. I remembered at least some of the episodes that we didn't cover. So I was able to instantly go, oh, that probably happened here. Mm-hmm. One of which would be the dinosaurs. That's right. I said dinosaurs. Oh, man. I miss dinosaurs. <clears throat> yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, but I already <laughs> remembered all that because this is the one that resonated with me the most. Mm-hmm. And it has a transforming motorcycle, which is just cool when you're 13. Well, it's still cool now. <laughs> um, that's fair. But it's particularly cool when you're 13. <laughs> all right. So for that episode, the only other important thing that we really need to know is that that's where he meets ran and because ran is a just a survivor on the planet who is probably one of the most proficient members of the entire group we're going to get who has lived on the planet is able to take care of themselves and is still nightwing-esque level of happy Mm, okay i I think i stumped you with that one i mean I, i i i my my take from that is that in comparison, relatively happy. <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, come on, you post-apocalyptic world, someone that is generally affable and likes to make jokes. That's that's like Nightwing level of happy. You've got Batman and Nightwing, mm-hmm. and you've got Scott and Rand. Right. I mean, because uh, of my particular fandom, my my mine was much more uh, um, Nigel, not sorry, Nigel, uh, uh, but um, McGinnis, Batman, Batman Beyond, mm. because the the contrast of Batman Beyond versus Bruce Wayne is is fun because he's like, why are you making jokes during combat? You know, so I mean, it's kind of thing. Same thing though. It's like it's someone who helps to balance out a dour protagonist. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of form an unlikely alliance, not friendship yet. As Rand gets mm-hmm. a motorcycle, gets one of the transforming battle mecha, and Scott offers to train Rand in it. And Rand's like, "Why would I want to know how to fight and kill people like that? I just want to keep driving, keep on the road." <laughs> it's it's funny because now that you say that, it's like Rick wants the show to be the A team, and Scott wants the show to be BJ and the Bear. <laughs> References that a small portion of our audience probably gets. This this is like the old timer show. You realize really we made this now. Let me let me see if I can find one from like the fifties just to round it out as we're going through this. So then we'll we'll move on to uh, episode sixty three, which is Lonely Soldier Boy. Which the reason I chose this episode is it pretty much introduces the entire rest of the group all at once. Mm-hmm, and it yeah. sort of helps form them together as a cohesive party. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you a great representation of the state of humanity in it. As they're driving through, you see there's this town that's trying to build itself back up. You've still got humans being humans. So that means they're being assholes to each other, even while they're being subjugated by the invid. Mm-hmm. But you still have sparks of hope because you have the people that are going to come and help Scott and the rest of the group, you get introduced to Yellow Dancer. Who is amazing. Yeah. I fucking love Yellow Dancer. <laughs> Which in the actual original, other ver- in the original version of it, the character is played by, I think, two different performers. So when Yellow Dancer is, well, Yellow Dancer and singing, there's a more female presenting person doing all the actual singing mm-hmm. compared to our version where there's more of like a male presenting person that just does the entire role, regardless of if it's mm-hmm. Lancer or yellow dancer, which I, I think I like better because I mean, I'll be honest. I have had bad experiences with the trail of LGBTQ people in anime. And so I was like, I was waiting for this to tank, but I mean, really it is kind of an early gender fluid presentation and it just kind of, I'm not. We'll get to we'll get to the ends of, of Yellow Dancer's kind of arc, if you will. But I mean, even here, it's like you know, yeah, I just I present a female character, and it's kind of portrayed in a almost Klinger esque from Mash. There's an older reference. Um, Good job. In the sense of uh, that, I'm doing this to hide myself from the people who may be trying to seek me out. But also, Lancer is not ashamed or embarrassed by this at all. It's just like, nope, I'm, I, I'm doing this. And then there's times where the yellow dancer, Lancer line gets blurred and there's just no real disguise reason for it. It's just, no, I'm just doing this now. Which, so, I mean, it really read as gender fluid without having that language behind it. Which 
I didn't want to torture people, so that's why I didn't sing Lonely Soldier Boy as the iconic line for the show. It was close. Like, I've got one secret note page here that Eddie doesn't have access to that's just like all the lyrics of Lonely Soldier Boy. Oh, no. And before I did it, I was like, do I do this? Do I do that? Eddie would be stunned because it's not on the main note page. It would be funny for me, but focus for all of you. It's the secrets. The secrets, my precious. So I chose not to do it this time. Right. Um, but yes, so let's, the amazingness well, of Lancer, then there's also before less Before we character. go on, I have to do it. There's there's one character, it seems to be in every single version of the show, that just gets under my skin. I was about to say that, that, that not all characters were great like Lancer. <laughs> is it Annie? This is, this is in our notes. You may look and see the word W2F, WTF Annie. I can you, as a fellow experienced anime person that has watched as much, if not more, anime than myself, explain Annie to me? Uh, so I just put you on the spot, <laughs> right? No, I mean, and I think I can. Um, uh, the the shorthand answer is that uh, uh, Annie is Orko. The slightly longer answer for people who don't watch He Man, the original He Man, um, is that. There is a trope of a certain style of '80s cartoon, and this is not just anime. I mean, I mean, American cartoons also have this of the young and or smaller in stature character who is very explicitly comic relief. Who the writers are trying to shoot for borderline annoying, but funny, and often overshoots into just completely annoying and not funny. So she's trying to be comic relief and also a way to kind of ground the cast into more human concerns. But it just comes across as kind of shrill, which is unfortunate. So let me state now that I'm not a fan of Annie, but I'm also not a fan of Orko. I'm not a fan of Snarf. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm trying to remember the name of the Smurf now too, but I'm not a fan of that Smurf. So it's, it's a consistent thing that like that character whenever now that you put it like that, whenever they're represented 90% of the time for me, always go too far to their side. Right. Um, uh, my understanding, having listened to some interviews from people, other related cartoon shows is that it is meant to be. So when, when they make these cartoons for the American market specifically, um, they try to shoot for a, a range of ages and it is easy to kind of hit the teenager range, the, the 12 to 15 bracket with, with, with the writing. Um, but they always want to pull in younger kids if they can, because those are the kids that will then watch subsequent seasons or watch different cartoons over the years. So you want to get it, get it, cast a wider net when you do that. And so these roles are specifically meant to try to gravitate towards extremely young kids. Whether they are successful or not, is debatable, but that was definitely the intent. And I feel like Annie is fulfilling a similar role here. She is meant to be the audience surrogate for extremely young viewers who maybe aren't quite understanding what's going on and give them something to latch onto. So that is my defense of Annie. But <laughs> aside from a couple of scenes here and there, I generally do not like her when she's in the scene. She is actually pretty good when she's paired with Lunk, which is a character we haven't talked about yet. So I'm mixed on Lunk. Mm. As, 
as a character, it's it touches on something that is all that I that I generally look for. But Lunk is a darker skinned character. I think like the darkest skinned character potentially in the entire show. Um, is in this 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 chunk of the show, yeah, is labeled a coward, mm-hmm. and most of Lunk's entire arc is trying to show that they're not a coward and they're like not necessarily a competent fighter. Lots of the negatives stacked on top of a darker skin presenting character. Agreed. And that's so problematic on so many levels Mm -hmm. that it's just something that I think needs to at least be mentioned. I won't necessarily go into it because that's an entirely different three hour podcast that we could talk about in and of itself. Right. But Lunk then also is equivalently Lunk and Annie would be the heart of the show for right now. Right. I mean, taking the problematic things aside for the moment, don't discount them, but just put them aside for the moment for consideration. Um, the dynamic is the little kid is completely fearless and the adult who actually understands how horrible things are is terrified. So the blinds, bravery and the knowing cowardice do balance out because Annie calls out Lunk on a pretty regular basis. Now, granted, it is annoying, but there are scenes where you actually do get a nice balance of Lunk going, you don't understand what what's really going on here, and Annie going, maybe I understand more than I do because, frankly, kids are more observant than we often give them credit for, but also Annie doesn't have the complete context because she grew up in this world, right? As far as she's concerned, this is how the world's always been. So there is potential for it. And you see, at least in a few episodes I saw, I saw glimmers of a really cool relationship. Um, But uh, I think just because you have limited screen time and also frankly, limited probably voice cast. So those characters were given very kind of over the top voices to to make them distinctive. And so that didn't help the performance. It is literally a bit shrill. And I purposely saved Rook for last because Rook is probably one of the most badass characters on the entire show. Okay. And Rook is almost, I'm trying to remember now because I've, I've watched a lot of videos and stuff recently about different makings of anime shows. And Rook is actually linked to Pris from Bubblegum Crisis. Really? Because originally there was a sort of a, a model that they were going for to have a sort of kickbuck punk character that's also a singer. But then they saw there's already a singer on the show, which was Lancer slash Yellow Dancer. Mm-hmm. So they slightly revamped Rook and took away the singing aspect of it, but left the rest of the character there. Okay. Yeah, I definitely gravitated Noticed. to Rook in just terms of look. And like Pris and Rook both ride motorcycles. They, mm-hmm. If we ever do Bubblegum Crisis, we'll really get into that. I mean, also, um, I think there's a little bit of uh, maybe Kaneda from Akira in there, too. I can see that. Which is something that, I mean, because it's a movie, we probably won't get to. But at some point, I think it might be worth kind of digging through. Because Akira is a whole thing. And so right there, you've basically got the Robotech Avengers. Yeah. That's the, the primary six of them. And the funny thing is, though, if you look at them, three of them are former military because both Lancer and Lunk come from a previous expedition. They're survivors. Mm-hmm. And you've got Scott from the most recent expedition who's a survivor. 
mm-hmm. and everyone else is a civilian that's been living here under the invid for over for about a decade. Yeah, and I think it gives a really cool dynamic that frankly has been missing since the Maycross saga because the Maycross saga, Rick was the civilian introduction into the military structure. Um, and so Rick was Rick and Minmay were both the people who characters who could kind of bring that perspective in. And since they were larger viewpoint characters, that balance worked. This is a uh, Salmo castle makes us divide up 50, 50, whereas Southern cross was almost entirely a military unit. So I think we're back to a, a stronger dynamic of the military approach doesn't always work best. And the civilian approach doesn't always work best. And so there's nice, it's a nice constant low level of tension between the characters that that's interesting. And it also shows though, how, much all these people want something positive and change to happen that they would then just go and follow mm-hmm. Scott. Who's basically, there's no nice way to say it. Scott's not necessarily a nice friendly person, no, <laughs> but, and I don't even know if he really radiates leadership, but he has a mission and he's giving all of them hope and they're willing to toss their lot in on a chance to stop the invid to make earth better. I mean, it's one thing that, the show I don't think does intentionally, or maybe it does. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how much credit to give the writers on this. Uh, but Scott comes across as believably traumatized throughout a lot of this. Um, he's a jerk. He's not always making the best decisions. But given what he's been through, you can almost forgive that because it's like this guy's been through a lot and he's still going through a lot. Um so that's one of the reasons why I actually like Scott in this because uh, the other characters are represented as, you know, the, this is the weight of war, um, but we never quite see it in the way that we see it with Scott through this. And I think it helps because the rest of the cast, in some way, this is the status quo for them. So they've adapted. He hasn't yet. He's in the process of adapting. So he could bounce off of, of Rook or Lunk or Lancer in interesting ways but never diminishes Scott's ability. But when he fails, it's like, okay, well, I can see that. I can see why that happened. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to the original creators that it was intentional because Mm -hmm. Scott's original name in in, uh, Mospedo, I think was Stick Bernard. (laughs) So the joke they make later about Scott being a stick in the mud is sort of Uh, a reference to that. (laughs) Nice, nice. And as... A former soldier, it is a lot of what Scott's going through is very believable. Mm-hmm. And I, I put a caveat on that because it's an anime, it was made in the 80s. But there is enough grains of truth that, from what I've seen and experienced, I can put together pieces and see that as being a semi realistic version of it. Yeah, it's, it's a melodramatic. Uh, uh, situation but it comes from a place of of realism so it's like okay i I can i can see the realism so i can i can stretch to the melodrama whereas i feel like southern cross just went right to the melodrama and never really got a chance to ground itself and from there we move into episode 68 eulogy Mm -hmm. i chose this episode because one is iconic two it is central to the plot and three it is it shows the actual impact of the invit having been here and how a lot of people have changed and what they're doing because mm-hmm. there's an undergoing current in all the episodes about 
humanity, different humans selling out to the invid for their own benefits in some form or fashion, or humanity killing people that are trying to stop the invid because it is easier for them just to acquiesce and to try to fight back. Mm -hmm. And to have Colonel Wolf, who is like a war hero, who I think in some of the other fiction, possibly dated Minmay, is like a hero of the the Robotech Wars, to be... Mm -hmm protecting there's quotation marks right now uh protecting this town and all the soldiers in the town are treating it like a party town like they've got family members there they're all cheering and jazzing and like it looks like every couple days every couple weeks wolf and a couple soldiers go out to steal some protoculture the people that go with them get killed wolf comes back Mm -hmm. life goes on town's partying no one's thinking about it and no one questions it until you get our uh robotech avengers showing up and one of the first things they say is this town feels weird. Like mm-hmm. people are way too happy. They're not on guard. What's going on? And they make, and someone makes a joke that, well, maybe Wolf is fighting back all the invid by himself. Right. And this, I mean, I mean, I, I think, um, uh, Lonely Soldier Boy really started the idea. This is a post-apocalyptic thing, but this also, cements it because it's a trope that weirdly weirdly gets more established in later fiction of the zombie town uh, that appears to be too prosperous and has a dark secret lying underneath of it right this is some walking dead storyline thing that came decades before the walking dead became popular so it's really interesting to me it's like well i was watching this book i know what the plot twist is going to be but that's only because i have of, of much later fiction. This probably would have been a wild plot twist at the time it aired. Hands down. And it was also interesting to see Scott, who this entire time has like been sort of faking being hopeful about different aspects. We're focused on the mission actually have real hope and excitement. Now that Wolf's here that puts aside like his own reason, his own concerns about what he's doing, because this is like his war hero. Like this is a person that inspired him to, jump in that Veritech and go fight for the cause. Mm-hmm. And to have the other members going, dude, this is not the best idea. Like, mm. but still ignoring all of them to join like a new wolf pack and go out to scout out an invid base, which is also great because this one introduces the Regis who becomes a primary antagonist for the entire show for this entire show. And it talks about the Genesis pit and the Genesis mm-hmm. pit is how they're, the inventor trying to figure out the ultimate form of life on Earth. And this is also in a later episode that we don't touch on where the team encountered dinosaurs. <laughs> I miss dinosaurs. That's fine. I go back and watch it. But it, this is um, one of the things, uh, I know I keep going back to Southern Cross, but I mean, this is um, one of the things that I know I, I beat up Southern Cross about was it was trying really hard to stitch these shows together and you could see the seams a lot more in that second one. This, I think is a better, a smoother way of doing it, right? It, it's the, again, this is a character we never saw in Maycross. None of these characters we saw in Maycross. And so it's, it's you know, yes, um, Wolf was a hero during that war, but the way it's presented here is enough time has passed now. It's been 25 years that Wolf was probably just a grunt. He was probably one of the guys we saw in the background in one of those fights in Macross. And it's really presented as such. It is the, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. And a lot of his heroic war efforts occurred in 
off-screen things. And so it's, um, I don't know, it, it, the, 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 the Sec- Southern Cross tried so hard to make it super obvious there was a connection there to the point where it started to ask questions. This was just a light touch. It's like, this guy was a hero in the Macross Wars. Let's focus on what's, where he is now. And it, it, it just gives enough setup that you can, there's a, there's a pin there, but it doesn't belabor the point. It just sets it up and then moves into what's interesting here and now. And I think that was a it's a better approach because then it's I don't I don't think about that as much. Okay, cool. Then I'll just accept that and and we get into why this guy is being a jerk now. Well, it's also an uh, old school and still somewhat new school approach for people that don't necessarily have a lot of money for their projects when they're making movies or TV shows, where we can't show you the monster because our budget right. wouldn't allow us to, but we can tell you enough about it that your imagination, which is brilliant and amazing, will fill in all those holes for us. Mm-hmm. And you create this own thing that is personalized to you that fulfills a function that we need it to. And it costs us nothing except some great writing and some descriptions and relying on you as a viewer in this case to do the work. And it pays off in, in droves. Yeah, absolutely. And for the episode itself, we have Scott joining the new wolf pack and wolf and Scott and a couple grunts. We'll call them Richards, uh, go off <laughs> to steal some more protoculture. And it quickly turns out that there's some sort of, and the invid base here is huge that the soldiers get killed. Wolf thinks Scott's get killed, but Scott, uh, you know, PC armor, um, right. Survives for people who don't know what a PC is player character, um, survives and is stuck out in the woods and wolf goes back to town and there's confronted by a few of the other, Robotech Avengers. I am going to call them Robotech Avengers the whole thing because I made it a note and I think it's funny. It, it is pretty funny. I, 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 I've been chuckling every time you say it. So <laughs> it's true. And you have them sort of go out with Wolf and they discover that Wolf is in fact a traitor once they're not killed. And a fight sort of ensues. And in the end, Wolf ends up sacrificing himself to save Scott and the others. And you have Wolf's like dying speech uh, about how wrong he was and everything else. And like the iconic line I chose is actually Wolf's line that he tells, uh, I think he tells Rand during the show about why he did it. That like yep. in a war, the only people that really count in the end are going to be the survivors. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, especially considering this is a Japanese cartoon, um, that feels like it's a very strong reference to Nazi sympathizers. Um, some of the reasons why they made the decisions they did. Uh, um, and it's quizzling. They were called quizzlings at the time. That word has taken on different connotations, but at the time, that's what the word was used. Um, and that was, I, I think, just that well because it's the at the end of the day, it's you can see why he made that decision, but he was still fighting for the aliens that destroyed the world. It's like you can't really excuse it. And the show doesn't want to make an excuse. It, it's like you made some bad decisions and you brought this on yourself. But it's the, okay, I can see why this war hero would have made those decisions. I could see why you got there, but that's still the, it still wasn't the right decision. So, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a surprisingly deep uh, character study for a 25-minute robot cartoon. And the other thing is that one of the benefits for the writers is it as this is sort of a traveling band and then like leaves a town. Mm-hmm. They don't have to see the repercussions for their actions. <laughs> right. It's like, well, but get rid of your defender. Go along. Suckers. Now, 
if you think just like one or two steps further, Wolf Wolf's dead. Wolf died killing Invid, and our team killed Invid. And now the town that is a party town is going to have to deal with the Invid, who are probably showing up tomorrow morning. Yep. And the Invid have never been, we'll say, overly generous to humanity to this point. Mm-hmm. So that town of thousands of people out of our out of our very small population that has been decimated multiple times in war are dead. There's no way they wouldn't kill them all. Mm -hmm. So then you're stuck thinking, which was the best thing to do with like, which was a greater good. Right. Um, And because of the episodic nature of the show, I, I suspect we just don't dig into that, but for the space you have, it's like, okay, you know, th- the fact that humans aren't a monolith in this situation uh, is, is interesting. And it's just that, you know, there are some people who still want to fight the invids uh, and, and naturally going to sympathize with their viewpoint. But there'll be some people who are like, nah, we're, we're, we're happy. We got, we have a party every week. Why would we give this up? <laughs> and then, you know, so you could make an argument that they kind of brought this on themselves. I, I don't think it's a good argument, but I could see that argument being made. Then you um, get into that Star Trek debate though, about what about the contractors working on the Death Star? Right, exactly. Um, they didn't serve, they didn't want to serve the Empire, but they need a paycheck. Right, but then you get into the maybe they should have they should have known that this was an unusual person. Maybe they should looked into it, but you know, yeah, it, it gets into the weeds of, 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 of the adjunct to the traitors. Um, the people who benefit from a trader's actions. And, and that's a a very messy, interesting area that is just frankly beyond the scope of what this show is trying to do. But it's interesting. Again, one of the reasons why I, I, I dug this show is that uh, much like Matt Cross, it will sometimes throw out a question and just not answer it. Leave that for the audience to answer. Because, uh, you know, um, when uh, the SDF-1 folds and takes Matt Cross City with it, they're you know, Glover makes them not great decisions, but also you could say that there were no good decisions. So he made the best choice he could. And let's go back to all the people that were inside of the SDF one when it folded, it went out deep into space. Yeah. That died semi instantly from being a person with no protection, dropped in middle of space. Go. Right. And it's not one or two people. We're talking thousands or tens of thousands of people. Right. And, um, Certainly, uh, the American cartoon space at the time, uh, some of that stuff was, was actively censored. So it's like, there are, as far as we know, the original material may have addressed this or, or referenced it, and that got cut, possibly. Um, so uh, it's, it's an interesting point of like how much of this was actually kind of dug into a little more in the original material that in the process of localization maybe got removed because they're worried about how kids would deal with it. And how much of this was just never there to begin with. But the point is, is that I think Macross engaged with here's the cost of war. Um, Southern Cross was much more a fun war story. Um, and it had some meteor consequences, but it didn't feel on the same level because it was much more consequences for a person rather than consequences for a society or for a culture or for a group of people. And this seems like it's dialing back into humanity is not in a great state and some of that is humanity's own making which is interesting 
And from there, we move into Intermorlane. And during this sort of gap here, that one episode is where they do to the Genesis pit and they discover dinosaurs. I like saying dinosaurs now. And they destroy <laughs> it. And so the Invid were trying to figure out the best, one of the best forms for life. And Marlene, who they're going to discover later, is a plant, is a plant they're putting out for them so the Regis can figure out what the Avengers are doing the entire time. And because mm -hmm. Marlene sort of relays information directly back to the readers unknowingly to her. Right. And the actual crux of the episode itself is that they finally reach one of the expeditionary forces. Scott's like, yes, we're going to have reinforcements. We're going to have supplies. We're going to have everything only to discover that it had been wiped out by the invent. Like the associate town had been wiped out also. Mm -hmm. And while there's a lot of available resources they can cobble together, all those forces are dead. And Scott finally just breaks down. Yeah at this point and it is tragic to watch and you see that like the team trying to like reassure like we could still do this the scrappy band of six of us can do with like this six thousand people couldn't mm -hmm. and he just doesn't hear it it's realizing now everything that's happened up to this point and it's interesting because um you mentioned before about the bnc plants because of the relatively episodic nature um, the show for, I think it's 10 episodes at this point. Yeah. Um, is like, okay, we're going to have fun post-galactic adventure, maybe engage some interesting parts, but really each of them has been something bad has happened. And this is a great moment because it sells the previous 10 episodes without necessarily relying on continuity. So you didn't have to necessarily watch every single episode, but if you watched enough of them, you recognize, okay, Scott's been through a lot. Um, and so you believe this breakdown. Um, but even if you watch just this episode, they still really frame it well. Like, uh, you know, this is going to be our salvation and then it's not. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's a really nice thing because it, it, the, 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 the scene lands both if it's just this episode you're watching or if you've watched completely every episode or just some combination of them. All of those watching patterns, which for network television, any of those are possible. This scene still lands really well. So it's, 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 it's Chef's kiss. Well done. And then you have the rest of the crew that sort of go around and they sort of scour for resources, what they can cobble together. That's where you have Rook and Rand discover Marlene and they bring Marlene back with them mm -hmm. and they discover the beta fighter. <laughs> Which my first heard, I was like, this is the fighter that wasn't the final product. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in fact, it's more of sort of a power booster for the alpha right. and it gets cobbled together and you get to see it in action and it makes the alpha supposedly that much more awesome. There's a, a invent cool. attack. This is our, our mandatory Robotech battle, mm -hmm. uh, robot battle, which Scott sees Marlene thinks Marlene looks somewhat like his lost love. And he will therefore then name this, uh, this person with amnesia after his lost love because that's not at all problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not great. Uh, they beat they beat the invid. You get to see Rand attempt to fly a beta fighter, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's this is one part where I, I I'm I'm less enamored with it because I mean Marlene's clearly set up for um the the love interest that will salvage scott and is the you know 
it, it's so clear with the rebound relationship, you know? <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, um, I, I see where you're going for here and you've only got 15 episodes left. So I, I get it. But also it was just like, eh, it's, a, it's a little clunky here. And I, I think it's only frustrating because other parts of the show are, are, are doing so well. But I mean, again, it, it's, it's, you work with the pieces you got. Uh, if you don't have anything else, I'm going to move on to episode 79. Yeah, I'll do it. So we're going to move to Frostbite. One of the reasons I chose Frostbite is I wanted to highlight the episodic nature of the show itself. Mm-hmm. And it sort of will bring more of a relationship with Scott and Marlene because mm-hmm. we've jumped about nine episodes and they've had a bunch of like random encounters that touch on what Eddie was just saying. But the thing is the show, while episodic, they're traveling equivalently like around the globe. They've been in South America they hit New York along the way and they hit like all these other places to see what's going on with humanity and mm-hmm. humanity is constantly struggling, constantly having people that have done bad things, usually for bad reasons or selfish reasons. And it is gripping and somewhat repetitive to see if you watch it back to back, but yeah, it's there that. and it's constantly reinforced and you don't ever get to forget it. And that is great to have it live in that moment. And then to have an episode like frostbite where most of the episode is literally them just almost relaxing, getting a chance to decompress for a bit. Not long. Yeah, they go shopping. It's great. And that is just an amazing thing to like put in the middle of the show. You're like, tragedy, tragedy, horror, tragedy, horror, tragedy, famine, boop, shopping extravaganza. And I mean, I would argue, especially for this isn't horror, but I mean, in, in the sense it's in a similar space, um, post-apocalyptic and horror have a lot of similar pacing structure. Uh, you need moments like this in a show like this. It can't just be bleak because you become numb to it. Um, it's the other hearing his horrible thing again. I will disagree with you somewhat on the point of horror Okay, because humans, human horror is still a form of horror that is probably the most, in my opinion, one of the scariest horrors there is. That's fair. I'm talking horror as the genre is codified, not necessarily horror in the emotion we feel in seeing these things. Does that make sense? Uh, it does, but we're, we're that that's a different talk we could have like at a bar. that will be fun to have. It's just fair, <laughs> sure. Um, uh, but I mean, but uh, then let's just, for the moment saying, you know, this is, this is a, a horrific situation. And when you're doing a horrific story like this, you need to have lighter moments because if it's just nothing but gut punches, eventually you stop feeling the pain. You need to kind of relax and get your wind back and go, yeah, I like these characters. And then had something horrible happen to them again, right? <laughs> you, 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 it's, oh, you're feeling better? Good. Spam. You know, now the gut punch hits. <laughs> That's what you need to be doing. Absolutely. And it's also where we get introduced to uh, Korg, who becomes the more squad-based primary antagonist for the group that that hates him humans, wants to kill you all, and becomes like the primary point of contact they'll they'll have when they're doing their robot battles. Mm-hmm. Pew pew. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, All right, it, and also this is where the, uh, the only thing I want to say about this episode is uh, this is the, where the romance between Marlene and Scott really kind of pays off. Um, and again, I'm not, it, it wasn't great in how it was set up. It's not great in how it's necessarily unfolded in the whole, you look just like my wife. Uh, 
But it is interesting that he doesn't forget his past loss. And none of this is framed as in you have wiped clean this past loss. Rather, the emotions evolve, which I think I, I've never lost uh, a partner in that way. But certainly I have I've lost people I've cared about and then, like, you know, like lo- losing people and then finding someone else that, that fits in a similar social space. Um, you, don't, you don't want that person to replace the person you've lost. Uh, but you also don't want your relationship to be framed by that loss. And I, th- I think it's, it's doing a decent way of trying to balance those two things. Um, but it's also, again, a 25-minute cartoon, and this is not the main point of the cartoon, so a lot of nuance is, is lost. And so it's a little frustrating, but the fact that I'm invested in a ca- these characters' romantic lives and their emotional lives is is massive compared to how we were feeling about characters. I mean, I was not feeling this way about Zora Prime. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I That's spot on. So we would move to episode 85. Mm-hmm. For me, this is a little difficult because the ending is really almost like a three-parter. Mm-hmm. And given the nature of our show, I decided to go with the last episode and point out one or two really important things from episode 83 and 84. Because along the way, they meet a journalist who's actually sort of, the best way to put it, probably be more of a an intel analyst who is on the ground to sort of record the invit and take pictures and send information back to Admiral Hunter. And the analyst doesn't care about, well, they care about the death, but they don't let that at all chains them from their mission. And they've witnessed like forces getting killed and decimated, ambit attacks. They set up our team to fight the invit so they can record that also as Intel to send back to Admiral Hunter to help them be able to win the long war. And you get this great conflict between mission, humanity, and the expectation of others. And it is great to watch that in a 20, like 20, 25 minute little dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend people watch the episode. I loved it, but then it touches more on a lot of my background as a soldier. So, mm-hmm. and we move on from there that Admiral Hunter actually has ground forces that they link up with along the way. We find out that Marlene is actually Ariel. Who's an invit spy because she gets hurt. There's all sort of emotional conflict about whether or not she's really evil, whether or not she's still human. And we meet Sarah, who is another invid made into a human who has begins to fall in love with Lancer, much like Max and Miriam. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of sets the stage for like the last episode, which has an enormous battle between like the expeditionary force that returns minus Rick Hunter, because for some reason they didn't make the jump right. So right. Hunter and the SDF three, I think are lost in space. Mm-hmm. The rest of the forces are here. They're ground forces. The non-military folks are told to go home, which of course they don't because right. they're the Avengers and they help battle and the battle's going on and you have Scott has a final confrontation with Korg who in the end, Scott, Rick and Rook all beat Korg. It takes all three of them to win the day against that one since it's, it's a primary bad guy mm-hmm. while the others are inside having a debate with the Invit Regis 
about how these societies could potentially work together or how they can't work together. And you ha- get an insight to the Regis themselves that talks about for each inmate that kills, it diminishes them as a whole. And they talk about the cycle of violence, which is an incredible thing to talk about in a war anime for kids who are like 13 watching it, discussing how the cycle of violence happens, how you can't, no one is really going to win in it in the end Mm -hmm. and trying to find some sort of peace between all of them for this show. They decide isn't going to work. So instead they take all the protoculture from the planet and evolve into a higher life form that flees into space because we find out that the crew, since Rick isn't here, their final thing, they were going to blow up the planet. Like we can't win. The envy can't have it. We're just going to destroy the entire planet and call it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was definitely a uh, it was a weighty topic, but it's also kind of just thrown out there literally at the last minute. I mean, it's like final episode. Oh, by the way, this is a big thing. Um, and so I was like, that's cool, but no time. Move on. Gotta get to the fight. It's the nature of the show, though, because yeah. once again, it's aimed more for a younger teen esque audience. Mm-hmm. I will also say that. In this specific format, you know, this three different shows stitched together format, that line actually resonates really well because we have literally seen three wars now. Uh, so the cycle of violence not solving anything, we've actually seen that that is objectively true as far as the show is concerned because we have seen the first two Robotech Wars end badly. So while it is thrown out at the end, it's also the end of the Robotech show. And so it is a good summation of what the Robotech show has been trying to say. And when they leave, humanity has won the day? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> but didn't we get like the flash scenes with Yellow Dancer singing yet another great rock song? Which is amazing. And in Scott in the end does something that probably is not expected. That was a great plot twist at the time. Doesn't stay for Marlene instead Mm -hmm. loads up in the fighter and goes off in search of Rick. And you have flashbacks of Scott thinking about all the team and where they're going and what they're doing with their lives. Because now that this is over, they actually have lives. They have to help sort of restart humanity anymore. Prosperous way, which you have Lunk, Annie and Marlene driving off to start a farm very Thanos like um, you've got Rook and Rand who have fallen in love during the course of the show going off together. And you've got yellow dancer who reveals to everyone. that in fact, yellow dancer is Lancer who is in love with Sarah who stays on earth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what's the other thing actually this is a small moment, but again, I really dug was um, yellow dancer gives a performance um, and then Lancer reveals, uh, you know, I'm actually Lancer. And then gives another performance as Lancer. Uh, and it was great because the there's a voice change there. Um, and again, I think it was, it was the same voice actor, but I mean, like, you know, how the song was sung as Yellow Dancer and how the song was sung as Lancer were distinctive. Uh, and it was a cool way to sell a moment through voice performance that I really, really dug. It's a small little thing, but I was like, I, I noticed that and I was like, that's actually real, a really cool touch. And it was, I think what added extra weight to it also is that it's Min May's song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, Min May's of- song came back into this show uh, 
and was kind of almost a, a leitmotif throughout the show, which when we talked about it in Macross, we were like, oh my God, it's been my song again. Um, but now hearing it again and different people singing it was neat because it was another way to kind of tie, again, a light touch tie back to Macross without that kind of Southern Cross. No, really, they're connected. This was like, okay, no. Oh, you recognize this song. I mean, partially because we only have the rights to so many songs. So, I mean, it, it saved us some money, but also it's a way to kind of say Min May's song resonated throughout the decades and keeps coming back. Uh, uh, it's a nice way to to sell that connection to the SDF3 without ramming it down your throat. And without ever seeing the SDF3, Rick, Min May, Lisa... Yeah, and that was actually another one um, you mentioned. Uh, uh, the fold went wrong, and that's why they didn't show up. And it's like, well, obviously, it's because we don't have the footage for it. It's a different show. But also, we saw a fold go wrong in Macross. So it's like, okay, this is an established thing that happens to SDFs to the point where maybe they should look at that and solve that problem, I'm thinking. But it's, okay, well, we've seen folds go wrong before. So, of course, the fold went wrong this time. That explains why these characters we recognize aren't here. Okay, I can buy that again. And again, it's just... Should have followed it wrong, but now we're in the middle of a fight. You don't spend enough time dwelling on it. You don't try to explain it. Much. It's like um, when uh, there's an old thing about uh, you can tell when someone's lying when they prevent they provide too many details. When when their lie becomes very elaborate, that actually makes it easier to spot the lie. And I think it's the same case of this. It's like just like you know, just mention it and move on. Don't belabor the point. And th- we're seeing more of that through this version that I really like. So that. Sansa movies and other parts is the original Robotech series. Now, am I correct that this whole, um, these dangling bits of Scott going to find Rick Hunter, um, Rick Hunter and SDF three being lost. Those were intentional hooks for a new series, right? I believe so. And also there's a slew of books that came out that filled in some gaps and the things, but I think the books are all out of order is the best way to put it. Yeah. And they had to like reassemble an order later that you can find online for it. Right. Although they were at least one version of them were color coded by era. Um, Cause like uh, I, I remember like there, there's a, a band across the spine, across the top then, and there were different colors for like the Southern cross for the back cross for the um, new generation. But yeah, I think they were released out of order and maybe even written out of order. But anyway, and so now I've got the greatest game in the world. Oh, no. What? I, I didn't do it the first few episodes, but we're at the end. <laughs> this is why I'm more ominous about it now. <laughs> we're at the end of, of like, technically the show. It's just three, three series all made into one show. So I waited. Right. Let's, let's, let's touch on our gaming, our gaming a little bit. We didn't do that first season, but now I, I feel more like playing a little, a little game with some gaming stuff. If you had to make a Robotech game, you had all the rights from Harmony Goal and everyone else, like all tucked away, and you mm-hmm. went through your 40 years of legal battles to make it happen. <laughs> right. I'm not getting, I don't want mechanical talk or anything like that because that's okay. going to work for us. What would your game focus on? <sighs> um, yeah. I do so- mechanics in your sleep. That's the easy part. Right. Um, so honestly, I would probably do something a bit like Fire Emblem Three Houses in the sense that it would primarily be a strategic role-playing game. 
um, because I feel like that is a key part of play for the war. But then each battle ties into character development, right? Um, so it's like there's the core design of, okay, defeat all the characters on screen, but also like, okay, these two characters fought side by side. So their relationship increases and how does that relate to the game? It's like, well, these two are enemies and rivals, but they fought together in this thing. So now that rivalry either deepens or lessens, or these two were flirting with each other. Um, but then they didn't, you know, one didn't help save the others. So maybe that relationship is, is stressed as a result of that, or a character, another character would died in battle. Um, so you're getting that relationship web and then you take it to the battle. And, and of course, these are battles where there would have to be permadeath or some very strong penalty for losing a character. And then you can bring it back to that relationship map. Okay, how does that relationship map change and evolve? That's how I would design it. Brilliant. How about you? Oh, I'm not answering any of my questions this season. That's what <laughs> Does that I work? I see how it is, Mr. Smivey. Does that work? No. <laughs> Big dammit. All right. Sit through democracy here. Um, for mine, it'd probably touch more on a mix of my horror background where mm-hmm. it'd be focused somewhat on the relationships. There's like how people would help ground them to the real world because relationship dynamics in all Robotech are incredibly important. Regardless mm-hmm. of if you liked it or not, it is critical for all the characters. It's right. what helps them go out and fight again. It's yep. why they're fighting. And the romances themselves are part of the thing that actually saves humanity each time. Mm-hmm. Like Max and Miriam's romance saved humanity. You've yes. got uh, Sarah and Lancer's romance actually aided in the success of humanity. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Southern Cross. M- Musica was also in a romance. <laughs> but yes, I see. But each time that's important. So that would have to be as important if not more so than all the combats that you're having, but the combats themselves would have to all be engaging and like high stakes. There would be permadeath, how you were just talking about, but the combats would like sort of reinvigorate people to give them more. I don't want to say courage, but give them more confidence in themselves to then pursue their relationships, which would then in turn empower them to go off to do more of those great combats. And the underlying thing throughout the entire campaign would be the romance building almost like a barometer. So when you actually encounter the greater big bad that you can't shoot, that would be the breaking point. It becomes like this big social duel between you and this like greater intelligence thing and your actions up to date determine how the campaign comes out. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So it's a little sandboxy, but much more emotionally driven. Yes. With fun fights in the middle. No, I totally see that. And my last question for you. Mm-hmm. If you had to rank these three series in order of greatness, in your opinion, how would you rank them? Uh, so Southern Cross is at the bottom. Um, I'm actually debating because like, I think Matt Cross is at the top. But a lot of that is nostalgia. I don't have nostalgia for New Generation, but I think in terms of a show I'd go back and watch for fun, I probably would do New Generation over the other two. So yours is Macross, New Generation, Southern Cross? Yeah. All right. So mine is Southern Cross, Southern Cross, Southern Cross. What? How does that work? It doesn't. I'm lying. <laughs> um, so 
Southern Cross is at the bottom of my list. Right. I know people are shocked. I'm I'm done beating up. I will no longer beat up on Southern Cross, even though it's an easy target. I'm done. Right. It had a lot of work to do, and it was in a bad slot to try to do that work. So I um, respect Southern Cross Sports Service. <laughs> <laughs> then it is really hard, but I'm gonna actually say Macross is second for me. Okay. While I have a lot of nostalgic love for it, and it did some amazing stuff, the characters themselves aren't quite right for me compared to the new generation that has ongoing character development. And it's like, uh, I'm not going to say that it's impossible for it to have learned from the other shows, but it feels like how it was cobbled together that it learned from the other shows to create something that is a great piece of work. Right. I mean, for me, uh, Macross is a, a very strong singular story. Right. Um, and it's hampered by the fact that it's trying to cram that story into mid eighties cartoon television. I feel like the new generation is good eighties television that also tells a strong story. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think the actual overall cohesive story of Macross is slightly higher for me, but I completely agree with you that the new generation is just better television. And it also probably helped that it, it didn't focus on the Orco character for the new generation, how the others did. Right. Right. Who is the Orco? Oh, uh, we talked about how Min May flirted with that line in Matt Cross. Yeah. And who, Dana who was just it throughout Southern oh, Dana. Yeah, the protagonist was that. That's a, that's a big problem. Yeah. The protagonist so is also well, an irritating character. <laughs> and for new generation was Annie and Annie right. was there, but Annie wasn't like the focus. She wasn't, the primary protagonist. She wasn't like the primary, say, love interest. It no, she was, comes in, she comes into a scene, she spots a couple lines, she gets choked off stage. That's pretty much it. So um that for folks is Robotech. Eddie, do you want to let the the people know what we're gonna be doing next time? So uh in a huge change of pace, we're gonna talk about an anime that was imported to America with three shows jammed together. Um, except for this didn't work nearly as well. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Voltron Defender of the Universe. It actually comes out a year before Robotech, and they did try to do the same structure, but then they just dropped the third one. The second one is so reviled that you actually cannot find it online to watch it. So we're only going to focus on what is now called the Lion Force portion of Defender of the Universe. Um, and we're going to do um, episode one, uh, Space Explorers Captured. Episode three, A Ghost in Four Keys. Episode five, A Princess Joins Up. Episode eight, A Stolen Lion. And that gets you kind of the key setup, really, because it actually has more setup in the front than some shows like this. Uh, episode 35, Doom Boycotts, Doom Boycotts the Space Olympics, which is both an amazing title, but also shows you as we're moving into the more episodic stretch of um, Voltron. And then 53, Dinner in a Show, uh, because that is the start of the uh, animation that was done uniquely for the American show. So this was the first episode that had animation that was not at all based on a previous Japanese show. I think it would be a good view of that particular juggernaut of mid-80s giant robot animation. <laughs> so if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? 
you can find me, uh, my, my body of work at pugsteady.com. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, usually talking about giant robots. That is a pretty common trend of what I talk about on Twitter, but also uh, some news about my upcoming products and games and the like. Uh, or you can find me on uh, the Darker Hue Discord, uh, as well as the Onyx Path Discord and some other Discords. I don't hang out on Discord these days. That's pretty much my social media of choice. But you? Nice. Uh, if folks are looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at Darker underscore Hue. You can find me in the Darker Hue Discord. If you're looking for my work, you can find it on the Darker Hue website. There's some at Onyx Path. There's some at Chaosium. There's some at Modifius. So... Basically, if you throw a dart into the world, you might find something <laughs> I wrote or I read. There we go. Thanks for listening, folks. See you in a couple weeks. Or a week. Yeah, we're <laughs> now. Crap. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>